0: episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Holy shit, I'm awake now for that (laughs) intro. Yay! Very energetic, I like it. Sweet. Well, amped up because of what we're going to talk about today.
1: Ooh, nice use of word there, amped up. I like it. Yeah. So what are we talking about? Electric guitar mixing. Which is easy because you just make him louder than everything else, right? And you should be fine.
0: That's what I've been told.
1: Right. I was a guitar player. That's the rule of thumb, right? And just the make everything else in simmer right there. in the background. Yes. Yeah. We talked about mixing lead vocals last week. Some of the prep will be the same, but I want to ask you, besides the comping of takes and cleaning up noise and stuff, how aggressive do you get generally with removing noise. And I'm talking about string
0: squeaks and things like that. Is that something that you worry about? That is a pertinent question, isn't it? The answer to that is it depends on how annoying it is to me. Yeah. Yeah. For the vast majority of all of the electric guitar stuff that I've ever dealt with, I can't even think of the number of times I've had to deal with it in terms of finger squeaks and string noise and all that. It's very rare, because I I think of it
1: in much the same way as breaths mm. with a vocalist. Okay, right? how if you're too aggressive removing that stuff, you can easily suck out a lot of the.
0: It'll sound unnatural. And the
1: feel. Right now, the only thing I would be concerned about is excessive squeaks if we're, yeah. we're sliding up and down the neck. But it does sound natural. But we do have tools for that now. So there are, we can. and
0: I know. In terms of my own use, I know that I have used a de-esser on a guitar once or twice, not a sure. lot, but on occasion when it's necessary. There's also from Isotope with RX they have a de squeaker, so to speak, which right. is essentially the same as a de-esser. You're just setting the variable of where the squeaks are happening in the frequency range. How many times I've used it? It's rare. Am I glad I have the tool or tools to do it, if necessary? Of course. Yeah, it's one of those things that
1: once you start processing and you start hearing that you're mixing it, you're hearing it again and again and again, it's like, oh, man, that's really annoying. Then it's time to fix it, right? But if it's Mm -hmm. just one of those things, well, that just sounds natural because... After all, he's moving from the 2nd fret up to the octave on the 14th or whatever.
0: How else right, so. would a guitar student know where to play the darn thing on a guitar? <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
1: yeah. I guess we have to use a little bit of restraint and nothing because it can just easily sound robotic. And if you remove all of that, it's just – it might be going a little too overboard, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, the next thing I wanted to ask you, and I go both ways on this. Mm-hmm. Um I think you just learned something about them, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so did I. Who knew? DIs, if people are using AMP SIMs, right? Or if you just have a DI, this doesn't really apply. But when you get those from a client, do you always print those before you start mixing? No. I don't print the DI. No, but I mean, but the AMP SIM? Yes. That I do print. Always?
0: Always. Okay. I always print that. And the reason for it is it's just the way I work now. It has everything to do with multi-tracking the tracks of everything in the mix that's going to be in the mix. Mm. The actual sounds that are going to go from my recording setup to my mix setup. Yeah. That's my process. So I have to print everything out that is sonically the sound that needs to be there.
1: Mm, Yeah, what you said there at the end, this sound that needs to be there. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, we can notice that on the surface, the guitar sounds great, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, yeah, this is an appropriate tone. But getting into a mix, we might find that there might be some issues. Too much distortion, not enough, or whatever to get the mix to kind of come together. Yes. So I buy into what you're saying, Mm -hmm. that you print them because that's the sound, right? I like having that to fall back on as well, to still have the DEI
0: just in case there are issues. Well, it's not like I go and toss the session for the recording once I have printed everything. Thus, if I get into the mix and I find that the sound is incorrect in some way, shape, or form, I have the option of going back.
1: No, I'm with you there. It's just a matter of workflow. In a perfect world, I would just print them all, and be done with it
0: because yeah. it not only for archiving, but just ease of mind, I guess. To well, I there. would go on top of that one step further. Those that even mic up amps should yeah. always be splitting the signal off the guitar to the amp with a DI that goes direct to the recording console as well.
1: That would be very nice, but what color is the sky in your world when that happens?
0: (laughs) It's a bright purpley hue. Come on.
1: Yeah. No, that would be great because it's just flexibility there. But speaking of amps and not using amp sims, frequently when you do that, you you might have more than one mic on the cabinet, Uh right? Presumably, again, that you're not the one that's done the recording, or even if you are. Do you at any point before mixing keep both of those tracks? Let's say that you've used a 121 and a 57 or whatever, just to have some names, right? Two microphones there. Yep. Do you like to have those separate in your mix? Yes. So that you can control the level or mm-hmm. do you combine them?
0: I like to have them separate. Yeah. When I go to the mix and I put every multi-track track in, I will sometimes combine them into a bus. So you're bussing
1: them in your mix template.
0: Yes. If I have to and I don't need to tweak it any further from the two levels that I've made in there for a multi-mic source, I will bus it together. Okay. That way I can deal with the volume rides with one instead of two faders, so to speak.
1: Right. One thing that I like to do, I like to combine those before I start
0: mixing. Mm -hmm. I can understand that. I just like to leave the option of being able to modify it per section if needed. Right. And that's a mixed choice. That's not a bounce choice.
1: Right. It's sort of like two ingredients that make up one thing. Mm -hmm. So in my experience, I have never gone, okay, well, in the verse, we're going to ride the 121 more than the 57 or whatever. It's a choice, but it is a choice. you could do it. Yep, yes, right. you can. But to me, it's just when track counts get large, I don't have to worry about the bus thing, which would be one way of doing it. But mm-hmm. um, there's no
0: right or wrong way, it's just what kind of works for you. I well, guess. and stepping back a moment for something you've already asked, these choices about bouncing out these tracks to individual sounds that you're going to use in your mix that comes in parallel with what type of tracks are you mixing are you mixing a heavy metal track are you mixing an r&b track are you mixing a country track a pop track some sort of singer songwriter track that's using electric guitars these are all going to inform your choice of how you're going to deal with that sound
1: yeah obviously just as when we talk about vocals, it it will inform further mixed decisions as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, of course, if I'm dealing with multi-tracked heavy metal guitars and everything has got two mics on it, you might have something triple-tracked or quadruple-tracked, and now you got eight tracks of just guitar. Right. To me, it makes it easier to, to bounce those down, as opposed to if you have a country track, and it might just be a single guitar left, a single guitar right, and you're dealing with two microphones, it's perhaps less imperative that you combine mics and stuff. Right. But again, workflow thing, right? Yep. What other things that when you're thinking about what type of track it is, what other decisions do you make based on that?
0: Whether or not I'm going to print the effects
1: Okay. Before so the mix. effects
0: Yeah. Effects like reverb delays, chorusing, flanging ring modulation, some kind of crazy setup from a multi-effects unit. Who knows?
1: Right. Assuming like how heavily present those will be in the track as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. I'm thinking if you're doing a pop track and you're using clean guitars, they're going to behave differently and sound differently, or at least you have the option to do so That's opposed to it's a clean section in a death metal track. You know, they're both clean guitars, but the aesthetic of those guitars is going to be different. We've talked in the past about tracking guitars and mm-hmm. our thoughts on printing effects or having them baked into the sound. I like to have them, and you do as well, on a separate track if yes. possible when we do that. And it's just to make decisions like this come the mixing stage. What kind of processing are you looking at? If we step aside from the effects, for right now, but what kind of processing are you looking at?
0: The first thing that I will think about is whether or not there's any low noise in the track mm-hmm. that needs to be cyanarred using a high pass <laughs> filter. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. This is basically
1: just getting rid of unwanted noise, rumble, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And, and we're, you know, we're starting to see a theme here, right? Yes. But here also it'd be really dependent on the type of track because I always mention like heavier stuff, a lot of things that are down tuned, seven or perhaps even like eight string guitars. The threshold is is going to be different than it is if you're having like a pop track with just in, in 440, just a standard yeah. tuning, right? I would go probably as high as maybe like 80 on guitars oh, 80 you hertz wimp.
0: <laughs>
1: you go higher
0: i have gone higher i've gone all the way up to like 220 wow yeah
1: but then pretty the gentle. slope is slope
0: yeah better. the slope is a lot more gentle but i have gone that high yes
1: so I'm, I'm not sure if we talked about it last week but what's your general slope that you end up going with do you have one that you kind of like oh this is my starting point
0: six db is the starting point oh wow point. It's very gentle, right? Yeah, it's very gentle. And if I know that the sound is lower and really undesirable and I don't have to go so high with it, I will reduce the hertz down to like what you mentioned, 80, but I will go with like a 48 (laughs) dB slope where it's literally that shit should be gone.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but those are interesting choices, though, and really important to kind of think about because I tend to start with maybe like a 12 or 18 Mm -hmm. dB slope. It makes sense. If I go higher, that's a lot more aggressive, right? It is. So, that's, if you stay a little bit lower, if you're at a very gentle, like 6 dB slope, you can go up higher. Yes. But again, so just like there's, there's another one of those cases where there's no rules, but these are things they have to consider. You have to consider
0: right? it. And the main reason that I would consider doing that and why I have done it in the past has everything to do with where the bass plays out in the arrangement.
1: Oh, totally. And the importance of the guitar in this case, right? Yes. How much are you are you carrying down there? Is it really just a supportive thing? Is it adding weight, and, or is it just getting in the way? Yeah, and, and it's, it's the, the, the same ladder. on the opposite end
0: it. of the high end. I will often use a low-pass filter up around 12, 10, maybe sometimes as low as 8K. And it has a lot to do with how much presence and sizzle the guitars need in relation to the track. More often, if it's a vocal track, the guitars do not need to be as bright up in that area because you want the vocals to have that air in that space. Yeah. That's just me.
1: No, I'm I'm with you, especially with heavily distorted guitars. Mm -hmm. It's essentially just like noise and sizzle up there. It doesn't really add anything that's pleasant. It might be hard to talk about being pleasant if you're doing like a heavily distorted guitar track, but <laughs> so I, I would same there. I would cut down to certainly like 10k, maybe even lower. But it would be different if it's a clean electric guitar and it's a pop track. Mm-hmm. I, I would probably not be as aggressive with it. No, but again, so you, you have to listen there where you start losing character of the guitar. Right, but cutting at the extremes of the spectrum, I think, is. Helpful. Something that, yeah, absolutely. And something I, I do. And then what, what's next? We talked about corrective EQ in the past. Yes. Is and this your next step as well? Or, or what are you, what are you thinking?
0: It's more often to be done with things that are directly mic'd, like hardware amps that are mic'd. I don't do it as much with amp sims. Main reason being is with the amp sim, I can go back and I can change the way it was mic'd and I can change things from the beginning right there, which makes it a lot easier processing-wise, I will fix it there if it's an amp sim. If it's not an amp sim, I may have to add an additional EQ to deal with things on the back end after the compression.
1: But here's another reason why I don't always print the amp sim, right? Just because of these decisions. Mm -hmm. If I'm getting tracks that... The artist, and in this case, a guitar player or producer, hear their sound, and that inspires them to play. It doesn't mean that that's going to be ideal for the mix. And, True, and sound like they're hearing it in the mix. So, as opposed to adding corrective EQ, or it might just be a matter of oh, I'm just going to add a little bit more mid range in the amp sim, and, and that, that might take care of it. I like having that flexibility. But of course, there's also something to be said for just making a decision, and sticking with it, as opposed to always having an option to change something. So,
0: Bingo! Make a yeah. decision, stick with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I just like to be the one that makes the decision. Yeah, if you're always leaving yourself open with all these options, it's it can be paralyzing in a lot of ways. Now, what about compression when it comes to electric
0: guitars? What are your thoughts on it? Generally speaking, with distorted electric guitars, they don't tend to need much, if any, at all for compression. Clean electric guitar is a different story, and there's different ways to approach that. All of them generally run to a guitar bus for me. Mm Mm-hmm. In which case, there will be some sort of compressor there, usually an 1176, that's set very mildly, very gently to catch anything that really pokes out. But as mentioned, the electric guitars that are distorted generally don't need that because they're already compressed just based on the sound.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. It's very, very rare that you add any kind of compression to distorted guitars. It's almost detrimental Mm -hmm. to me to the sound because it just starts, I don't know. Try it and you'll see what I mean. (laughs) But clean guitars are different to me as well because here again, the type of track that it is comes in, right? Because if it's a funky guitar track, there's going to be a pretty heavy dose of compression if you have that really sort of funky kind of playing when you want the notes to kind of pop but really be controlled. Uh I will do that on the individual tracks as well. If it's something that I want that. Also, if it's like a 80s thing when you got these really kind of jangly parts that are kind of going on, a little bit more compression on the actual guitar track as opposed to a bus. Just to even those performances out and they're not really, really pokey mm-hmm. coming out. I think we're a little bit more creative with the compression on clean guitars. Sure. Certainly sure. than on, on distorted. Eleven seventy-six is a good one there. If you're just massaging things out. Mm-hmm. La2a kind of a little slower compressor I think works really well as well. Mm-hmm. So here I can go pretty heavy-handed if the part comes through it because it's kind of baked into the sound of it. Yep. Right. If they if it wasn't recorded with a compressor already. Right. So, so then we get into after compressor, if it's there, any kind of sweetening EQ. Yes. Do you generally do a whole lot of EQing on the guitars, and if so, why?
0: No, electric guitars that are distorted. No, they don't generally tend to need EQing in my mind. And again, this has everything to do with getting things right on the front end. Sure. Clean guitars, different story. Obviously they have a different value to what is going on. For me, a lot of the time I am going to do probably the opposite of what you do in that in the 2K range, especially if this is a vocal track, in the 2K range, around 2K, I'm going to gently sculpt out the guitars because the vocal is more important, generally speaking. How dare you? Yeah, I know. (laughs) No, that's of course true. But, (laughs) But
1: let me explain what I suggest here. It is in that range maybe even a little bit higher, maybe all the way up to like 4K or something. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking distorted guitars here. Yep. If they need to be a little bit more present mm-hmm. and cut through the track, if they're of that importance in the track, giving it a little bit of a bump in that range, mm-hmm. Keyword there is little bit, can help them just cut through if it's a massive arrangement of stuff. Sure. If you are got like a
0: bunch of keyboards and things. But just like there's vocals, Jody- though. I'm yes. not going to do that in the 2K range. I'm going to go further up, closer to the 4K range, like you just mentioned. The part that you have to be aware of or careful about in the 4K range is right around 4,100. That's where a lot of harshness can really build up real quick if you're not careful, so you have to notch out 4,100. Otherwise, guitars can sound really wretched right in that area. But bumping up the 4K area, getting it out of the way of the vocal and still giving its primary boost, that's how I tend to do it.
1: Yeah, the key thing here is, of course, that the vocal will always be more important, Mm -hmm. right? You have to listen for that. Does the guitar even need to poke out in that area. That would be a good place to do it if it needs it. And it could even be through sections, right? You automate that if you need to. Automation is a great uh, thing for that. Yeah, but let the vocal... Be, that's the master of each song, unless you're like a really, really low Death growly vocal, <sighs> then you're probably not a whole lot of 2K there. But <laughs> the point still stands, right? That, that that's where you can get a little bit of the pick attack and clarity if you're missing that, just to gain a little bit of, of that back. But sure. be careful. Another frequency that guitar players are scared of and misuse a lot of time it are the mids especially sort of like the high mids, I think. It can be very pleasing to play with very little to no mids and then we wonder why our guitars disappear in the track. It doesn't always mean that more mids are better. You want to pay attention to that area because that's where a lot of the body of the guitar lives as well, right? Now it's fighting with everything else. But if you're playing a lot of heavy stuff, and you're dealing around the 100 hertz area, you're still dealing with the kick drum and bass and whatever else is going on in there. So you need to have something in the mids to kind of bring some clarity to that. I know that's something that you find shocking to hear me saying because I'm generally not a huge fan of a lot of mids, but it's something to, to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. He's a, you're stunned. He's shocked. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cat got my tongue on that one.
1: All right, so now we have a good usable guitar sound. Sure. For for whatever tracks. What's
0: next? What are you thinking next? Panning and effects, and they go hand in hand for me. Sure. Generally speaking, the way I'm going to approach this is that the verses are going to be less wide, more. You're talking about
1: doubled tracks now. Whether they're doubled Or, or or
0: even in the effects of like faking the stereo ness of it. Okay, so you'd have dry guitar to yeah. left, for example, and then a, a slap or something on the right. Maybe. But if okay. it's being done with an effect, it's, in a verse, it's not generally going to be hard left and hard right. When right. you hit the pre-chorus section, it probably pans out a little bit further. And when it hits the chorus, I usually go hard left, hard right with everything, whether mm-hmm. it's the double track guitars or the effects.
1: Yeah, You? That's a good trick. depends on the track, but it's a great way to add energy and a little bit of movement Mm -hmm. to go hard left, hard right in the choruses and then tuck them in a little bit in the rest of the song, the parts. It just adds that little bit more explosiveness to to the chorus where you generally want a bit of a lift. Mm -hmm. Now, this depends a little bit on type of track. If you're dealing with heavier stuff, you're almost there all the time. But if you got more like a pop metal kind of thing, this is this is a good way of going about it, adding that little extra kick into the chorus, if you will. <laughs> but, but how do you feel about the hard left and hard right guitars in general? Because I know there are guitar players that feel that it's It's unnatural to listen to it like that, and it throws them off. I've done more than a few mixes where the guitar players have gone like, no, I I don't like them hard left, hard right.
0: I've never had somebody come back at me and say anything about it. I don't think about Um, it. All right. Well,
1: there you go. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of having them really wide. It's an arrangement choice. Yeah. But it also depends on if you're dealing with, at least to me, simply a matter of a doubled part. Mm -hmm where you're actually playing the same thing, which is a slightly different sound, right? Right. I think those are better suited for having hard left and hard right, as opposed to two different sections or different parts. Mm -hmm.
0: What about effects? What kind of effects are you throwing on stuff? Maybe a little bit of room sound for ambience. If it's more of an ethereal thing or washed out type thing, I'm gonna add a much bigger reverb. Occasionally, it'll be about delays instead. Very rarely will I use pitch shifting effects sometimes and if I'm using multiple guitars, often I'm not doing them in stereo with chorus or flanging. I may use a chorusing effect in mono on a guitar or I may run it as a stereo effect from a mono guitar on a bus.
1: And what do you try to do then? Are you just kind of creating a little bit it up, Creating some yeah.
0: sort of vibe that doesn't exist on its own. Yeah. That will fit the feel of the track.
1: And here again, to me, the feel and the sound, the style of the song that we're working on will heavily dictate this. Because the more pop-oriented, more cleaner stuff, I feel that like there's more room for experimentation where... You mentioned pitch shifters there. Mm-hmm. It's something that I really, really love on clean guitars, especially if you're going for it, kind of like an 80s kind of vibe because mm-hmm. it brings that sort of width to it. Same thing with chorusing and stuff, right, where on clean guitars it's a lot better sounding to me than on electric guitar or, I'm um, sorry, distorted guitars. Mm-hmm. Now, you can have it if you're having distorted guitars and you're going for more of a uh, 80s, session tone and you're going for not necessarily impact, but you want a certain kind of aesthetic to it. It can sound really good. Generally, the heavier the guitars, the less effects I tend to do. I, I do a little bit of ambience there just to make them sit in the space. Mm-hmm. Very unlikely to use any kind of chorusing or anything on those. Again, it's all about the vibe that you kind of do in the song. Mm-hmm. So now we're back to – got all the kind of elements of the sound kind of going in. Now we're dealing with not just panning, but what? Volume automation.
0: Yay! (laughs) This has a lot to do with how the guitar players actually played it in terms of the arrangement. It's also good if it's mono all the way through to ride the volume anyway, to give it a sense of movement if it's needed. It's easier on clean guitars. Obviously, with clean guitars, the heavier you hit it, the louder it's going to get. But with distorted guitars, especially, volume automation is very important.
1: Yeah. Generally, I don't do it so much for the performance of it there. I would generally clamp down on some with some compression there. Yeah, but that's not volume that
0: automation.
1: Either. No, no, no. I know, but I'm cycling back here. So okay. I would use that for that. But then. It would be more of a thing of where I want a guitar to perhaps drop out a little bit in the verses, mm-hmm. that type of a thing. Okay. Right. And that idea is still there for me, obviously, with distorted guitars. I can reflect back to at least when I started doing this. It's very easy to, okay, now we got the guitars at a certain level. It sounds great in relation yeah. to the drums or whatever. And then you just want to build on top of that. So the vocals come on top of that, and then when it comes a guitar solo, that goes on top of that. A better way of doing it is when you have other elements coming in, dip the guitars a little bit, even if it's just like a dB or maybe two. Uh-huh. It, it makes more room for the vocal, and certainly for when you have a guitar solo, bring that down a little bit instead. And that that's
0: you know a tip I really want to give to people are just starting with this, right? Bring your rhythm guitars d- down as you add something solo melody on top. Yeah. And again, it, it's a great
1: way to, along with that panning trick, right, when you go into the chorus, just bring them up a little bit again in the chorus and just have that impact mm-hmm. that you want. Yep. What else do you do? Anything else that you do? Pray that it's going <laughs> yeah, yeah, to sound great to the did client,
0: Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, sounds good. All right. With that, we'll move on to our variety. Chris, what have you got this week?
1: Several years ago, I did a instructional DVD. Remember those? We used to get those, not to buy those. And one of the plugins that we covered was a plugin called Filterscape from Yuhi. I remember really loving this, what you could do with automation and stuff within this plugin when it comes to like filter stuff. Now there's an update to this. It's been a long time but it's called Filterscape 1.5. And if you were like me, you really like the original one. This one looks really, really cool as well. Just updated everything. I was excited to see that that was new. I don't own the plugin anymore, but this is something that really, really piqued my interest. So it's Filterscape
0: 1.5 from Yuhi. Nice. And what about you? I'm going guitar-oriented since it's a guitar podcast today. With Universal Audio's brand new heavenly guitar pedal. That's the title of it. It's heavenly. The idea of this is it is a plate reverb built into a pedal box, and they have three different plates within this thing, along with a little bit of pre-delay, being able to mess with the decay, even a little bit of a filtering EQ, and some modulation. And you can also... Parallel mix this in, all via the pedal. It is not a stereo reverb, it is a mono reverb, but it is a very nice plate reverb pedal from UA. Nice. Nice. Yes. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for future giveaways. And we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this amazing podcast. Send us an email at GoldStar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word guitars, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode with that I'll say see you next week have a good one Jody thanks for listening everybody